you know, on the, if I wear my investor hat, we'll have a number of companies come to us and they're like, oh, this is all the cool clinical benefit, blah, 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 blah. And then they can't answer how they're going to sell it. And, you know, as an investor, like eventually for, in order for me to believe the company's worth something, they have to have revenue, which means I have to, you know, believe you can do all those things. And so I think you can't wait until you're three months out from having your product on the market to actually have spent the time thinking through some of those. The Medical Alley podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. For over 20 years, the healthcare industry's largest companies have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision while designing and developing innovative digital products. Whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. The global team takes a personalized and in-depth approach to deliver secure solutions in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer state-of-the-art care through technology. Trusted guidance, global expertise, secure integration. MentorMate delivers digital transformation at scale. Learn more at MentorMate.com. everyone out there in the Medical Alley. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. Well, this probably won't be the first one released in 2023. This is the first new one we're recording in 2023. And so I'm so pleased to have uh, some great listeners back and hopefully a few new ones joining us because today we've got what should be a really, really fun conversation uh, with Morgan Evans, who's an entrepreneur, an investor, and someone who's been building businesses to solve the problems that startups routinely run into. This is a conversation I'm personally very interested in having, and I think you'll find it really interesting and quite useful as well. So Morgan, thank you so much for uh, joining us on this uh, snowy day in January. Well, thank you for having me and uh, for helping to start off the new year right with you guys. Right on. Maybe the, the place to start would be the start. Could you give us just a, a quick introduction of yourself, your background, and a little bit of what you've been up to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm Morgan Evans. I wear a couple of hats today, and, and I'm happy to hit a little bit on my background. But I'm CEO of Agitated Solutions. So that's a med tech startup focused on developing low-cost contrast agents. I also uh, help run a incubator called Moonshot Medical which is pretty much in stealth mode. So I can't talk a lot about a lot of what we do there, but it's pretty innovative med tech technologies as well. I also co-founded Engage Venture Partners, which is an early stage med tech venture firm. Um, and then I also founded, um, but don't run, a med tech consulting firm, Highland Circle Innovations. Um, briefly on my background, so I cut my teeth in entrepreneurship in a neuromodulation startup in the Bay Area right out of undergrad. Wore a ton of hats there, ranging from engineering to clinical um, operations, uh, even sales in Europe toward the tail end. Um, I went and got my MBA at Kellogg, and when I was there, I actually co-founded my first startup, uh, which is what gave me the bug, um, and then gave um, went from there to Medtronic, uh, which is what brought me to Minnesota. And then um, since leaving the corporate development team there, I've been pretty much gung-ho in the startup community since. That's kind of a a really cool background. You've had almost all the different hats and been inside one of the large companies on kind of the, the buy side. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, 
what sort of perspective does that give you having that that time in corporate development now that you're working on your own startups or working with others? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that, you know, it was two years roughly I was there, but it was incredibly instrumental in a lot of the learnings and the approach I brought to the startups that I work with. A lot of what had been around how the larger companies think about startups and small companies. And what I mean by that is strategic fit, but also like have they mitigated certain types of risk. Um, even simple things like, hey, you know, I can assume if they had one sales rep and did, you know, X amount of sales in one small region, I can extrapolate that with 170 sales reps, for example. Um, and it just really helped me understand you know, what is of value and at what stage. The other thing I would think about really quickly was, you know, also what's worth doing right. And so an example I would give is several of the deals we worked on would have budgets for quality remediation, for example, which literally means going in and fixing or retesting or making quality systems like appropriate for that integration. And so that's stuff that like understanding the amount of money spent on the back end to fix that, you know, makes you kind of think twice about what we do in the front end. Oh, interesting. When you say that, does it make you think twice about like, does that cost come out of the deal in some fashion? And so it, you, you'd have an incentive to do it right on the front end because it's going to protect your value? Yeah. I mean, it could come out in two ways. So one is I actually saw a deal that we were modeling where they were not willing to launch the product under like Medtronic's brand until certain things were fixed. So you can imagine that, you know, if if a deal model is sitting there and saying what we think the company is worth, if I have to delay revenue for six months, yeah, time value of money, I mean, that came back into what we would be willing to value that company as pretty concretely. So, you know, and granted, you know, it's tough to say, does that change what the purchase price of that company would actually be, right? But Mm -hmm. it is something that, you know, might as well button it up if it's a little bit of cost on the front end, just to make sure it doesn't harm you later. Yeah, the, I mean, the, it seems like a reoccurring theme in startup land of limited resources, lots of complex decisions, mm-hmm. and that if you have that perspective of what those decisions might mean at the end, you probably can make better decisions at the beginning. Exactly. Ah, interesting. I know early on when we first met, one of the approaches you were taking was. You were working with doctors who had ideas and we get lots of calls from docs who have what they think is a great idea. And I never make a judgment on that. That's not my world. But when you get approached by say docs with an idea, are there common challenges you see them having or things they miss or what, what's the kind of advice you might give to say the, the clinical innovators that are out there? In the yeah, there's a couple. The first of which is um, I think you really have to vet that idea properly and kind of outside of your comfort zone. And what I mean by that is it's not uncommon that they come to me and they say, oh, you know, I've talked to these three physicians. They all love it. And then you realize they're all their friends. They all have the same type of clinical background. So they could be key opinion leaders or, for example, all in like a rural hospital community or all of a certain stage in their career. Um, but also, you know, if I'm going to ask my friend what I think about my idea, no doubt I'm leading the witness, right? <laughs> because I mean, at least the way I talk about things that I'm used to, of course, raising money and things like that too, where you have a little bit of that like salesmanship with it, but your excitement comes through your, you know, those types of experiences, they're going to read that and respond. So, you know, even just taking the time to have someone that's not you ask some market research questions for a small amount of money. Like you can really narrow in and make sure that value proposition is solid. 
you know, that would be one thing. The other thing would be surrounding yourself with like appropriate expertise early on. So, you know, clinicians are really bright, obviously, but know what you don't know. And um, there's a really highly regulated world that has a lot of strange nuance there. And that's okay to not know all those answers, but, you know, go and find early partners or advisors or something like that and, and spend a little bit of, cap, you know, of your cap tables and give them a little bit of equity. Um, but just doing that the earlier, the better, because I think it really helps round out that offering so that it really is like going to be a successful product and company. Yeah, right on. And, it, you know, that reminds me of, you know, one of your other projects, one of your other companies, Highland Circle Innovations. Uh-huh. And I, I think about, I, it like is burned in my head, but remembering the story of you and your startup, and there was one, maybe two other startups that had a common problem, but the cost to get the help you needed was prohibitive as a startup. And so you started building a solution for it, which now, as I understand it, is Highland Circle. Can you tell us a little bit of you know, what is Highland Circle Innovations and what's kind of the unique approach that the company has taken? Yeah, and you're spot on there. And um, the kind of origin of the company tied in two things that I love, one being network effects. So mm. the other companies you mentioned, we were all female entrepreneurs in the med tech community. There's just not enough of us out there. So it's a pretty small circle. Um, and we were just sitting around that table and, and acknowledging like, hey, like you need a quality resource. I need that too. And I need this kind of engineering person that can just write a lot of documentation um, and so originally it was just founded of almost like a holding company to be able to then split out those resources across a few of our startups. But really, like it had evolved quite a lot since January 2020 was founded. So last year we hired a dedicated leader, Prem, who has since kind of taken this and you know put it on steroids, so to speak, in terms of the offerings and such. But what it is we offer is basically instead of having a startup have to build this independent army of consultants, because in the early stages, you can't hire, you know, 10 full-time employees. It's just going to kill your company before you can start it. Well, you know, not only can you find any fractional resource you would need from piece of paper to an exit, but they've all also worked together. And they all also have agreed on like what good looks like up front, because that was one of the things I saw on the inefficiency side of, you know, one of the most routine documents, for example, that companies need in tech is a product development plan. 95% of that should be formulaic, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that people were de- like debating, oh, well, should this be here or should that be there? And, and kind of moving things around and none of which is actually value add. Yeah. And so that was where I think not only packaging those fractional resources and team, but spending the time on how do we make this more efficient for the next company, right? So taking time to take lessons learned or develop protocols that are, you know, utilized across the board, but I think it's taking the lens of entrepreneur where you have to put all those pieces together as opposed to, hey, I'm a quality consulting and a quality consulting firm, or I do reimbursement or something like that. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, the, the integration of the different functions, you, know, you have to do that. You need them to work together. But if you're assembling eight or 10 or 12 different independent consultants, you almost end up needing a consultant to manage the consultants and to bring the work together. What I'm hearing you saying is you're doing that internally, but then also taking what you're learning from each company and improving the process and the systems for the next one and the next one. That's right. Like I, I joke all the time, we're almost half co-op as well. <laughs> where, you know, um, and I mean, there's a number of examples we could use, but you know, if we have one of our clients get audited, for example, 
because the same bare bones of the system exists across, you know, all, we would sit there and be like, okay, do those findings apply to these other, you know, X number? And so there's a amount of that, which is not dissimilar um, from also just taking a look at like, hey, these five companies all need the same thing. Can we like creatively figure out how to split that would be another way to do it too. Um, But something I should mention is that, you know, as that business really has evolved and recognized some of these new resources we could add, like HR and search or usability Mm -hmm. or operation scale up, business development strategy consulting, just to name a few, um, we kind of felt like we outgrew the brand um, Mm -hmm. and where it started as well. So something that's kind of hot off the press um, this week is we are rebranding Highland Circle Innovations to AVO MedTech Consulting. Um, And AVO is a playoff of, you know, to take flight. So aviation as well as navigator, which is the hat we find ourselves wearing a lot, not only just how do we get you from point A to point B, but, you know, a lot of our clients are first-time entrepreneurs. So here are the other questions you should be asking or the additional work you should be doing um, throughout that journey as well. Oh, that's great news to hear. Uh, I like that name a lot and fun to have some breaking news right here, folks. You heard it first. I also appreciate what you just said there about having a lot of first-time entrepreneurs as clients. Um, and this is the work I'm doing as well, but the, there is this growing community of new entrepreneurs. And one of the observations I've had is that it's often difficult for those first-time entrepreneurs to kind of, I'll say, break into the halls of power, you know, get access to the right advice and guidance and just credibility that is needed to be able to access capital and partnerships more effectively. So I, I appreciate that, you know, you've had a specific focus on that community um, and that you've brought your experiences to it as well. I'd be curious, you know, we talked a little bit about this on the doctor's side, but just in entrepreneurs generally, are there things you see those first-time entrepreneurs doing that maybe they think, hey, that's the right thing to do, but it ends up actually being something that impedes or harms their progress? Yeah, um, a couple things come to mind. So one is, you know, you have a startup and like being lean and efficient is like a huge part of what a startup means. But I think you can also come across people that are almost too capital constrained and, you know, penny wise, pound foolish. Oh, indeed. They're, you know, trying to really be scrappy and save that money, you know, might actually hurt you in the long term by not doing things like, you know, as I mentioned, spending couple grand to have somebody doing, you know, market research questionnaire up front, mm-hmm. um, value the proposition, but also ask like some design related things, you know, like, Hey, what if it was this feature or that feature? Um, and you know, you can learn it now, or you can learn it when you're actually launching your product <laughs> having spent for many, you know, years or months and, and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so you know, that would be one. The other thing is, you know, there's a lot of, if I build it, they will come, you know, field of dreams mentality, Sometimes and, um, you know, taking the time to really think through some of the commercial plan and strategy, likewise, early on, because how you build something for, you know, a something that you're going to have a direct sales force would look very different than something you would do with a, you know, distributor and kind of low touch model. And there's different reasons to do different ones, of course, but you know, if I wear my investor hat, we'll have a number of companies come to us and they're like, oh, this is all the cool clinical benefit, blah, 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 blah. And then they can't answer how they're going to sell it. And, you know, as an investor, like eventually for, in order for me to believe the company's worth something, they have to have revenue, which means I have to, you know, believe you can do all those things. And so I think 
you can't wait until you're three months out from having your product on the market to actually have spent the time thinking through some of those. Yeah. And you had two things I heard you say in there that I don't think it's said enough. One is belief. You know, you as an investor have to believe mm-hmm. something's going to happen because, right, it, it hasn't happened yet. There is no way to say, like, it is guaranteed. So that that power of demonstrating your believable building credibility. The other one, you know, the commercial model piece, I always think of that as just being like other centric. So many times, right, there's the great technology, incredible clinical benefit, but for who and to who? Like who else cares about it that's not you as the founder that will actually want to do something with it or move it forward? I'm constantly surprised, and this is probably just because I have a sales hat, but constantly surprised how often the story isn't about someone else and the value they'll get from it and why they would care about it, whether it's an investor, a customer, or a potential strategic partner. I think that's right. And I think, you know, we're all biased to come from the lens that we wear most often, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm a clinician, I'm going to take the view of a clinical benefit, maybe, or like, hey, this is a user workflow or something like that. But I don't also often take the hat of a purchasing department, you know, or supply chain or whatever those things might be. And so um, I think it's related to actually as founders, you know, we kind of pull it back to the belief. But if you can acknowledge those things that you don't have as much familiarity with having not worn those hats, be transparent and then talk about how you're going to mitigate it. You know, that then helps bring the belief in that being the right team and the right thought process because you, you know, we all have blind spots. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they are all the time, but at least acknowledging that you can see where they might be probable. um, You know, that just kind of feeds into that value prop an investor would see on the other one too. Indeed. When, you know, to the blind spot piece, the there's a broader ecosystem that we're all operating in. And, you know, there's lots of parts of it that work really well. There's a ton of parts of it that need some work or need some tuning up. You know, you've been in the middle of this now for a number of years, but on the investment side, on the startup side, and on the large company side, I'd be curious for your take as far as the startup ecosystem here in Medical Alley, where do you see some of the challenges? Where do you see progress? What are things you might say out to the rest of the community? Hey, we should be putting more attention and focus on improving. Sure. Um, maybe starting with some of the positives. I think a lot of the state initiatives that they've been pushing have been great. Um, angel tax credit being one that I can firsthand tell you that like when you threw that out there, like just getting from the like, I'm almost yes to a yes, it did matter. Yeah. Um, especially with some of the out-of-state investors as well. The Launch Minnesota Innovation Grants. I mean, they're not huge, but you know, if that can file my or pay for part of my um, you know, legal expense to get all this off the ground, I mean, they matter. And I know both are kind of out of funding at the moment, but hopefully back soon. So a little hints there, you know, I think those programs are great. Um, you know, the work like someone like Pat Dillon does as well on trying to accelerate non-dilutive funding into the state and just the recognition that there's a lot of hoops and weird stuff to kind of navigate mm-hmm. to get some of that. But that, you know, once you kind of understand the playbook, it can be relatively formulaic. And then, you know, I would say in general, Startup beyond uh, startup funding beyond that is something that always a pain point we hear about. I'm sure it's the same for you, Frank. And I do think it's great there's new funds coming on the scene. I mean, my own engaged venture partners being one of them, but you know, Groove a couple years ago, Tundra, etc. Um, but we need more. I mean, even if you were to sit there and say, okay, if all of the ones in the state are in and enthusiastic, 
and it's a call it a five million dollar round, like there's still additional funding needed there. Right. And I do also would say, you know, that the friction related connectivity is something we could all help each other with. I think Medical Alley does a great job of that, of trying to put like-minded individuals together. Mm-hmm. But in the example I gave, if you raised a $5 million round and let's say two and a half of that came from you know organized funding in town, you still have to get in front of enough individuals to round out that additional two and a half. Right. None of which want to volunteer that they're angels or else they'll get inundated with bills, <laughs> right? So it is kind of that being willing to put out your network to help something. And not for every deal, right? But for deals that you think are good ones to try to share it with your community and accelerate those those funding mechanisms as well. Yeah, well said. And I think you know, the work you've been doing and that some of your partners have done have modeled that behavior, I think, so well. And I'm, I'm hopeful we're going the right direction to see more of that connectivity and a more open and inclusive connectivity, right? Not every startup is going to get funded. Not every startup should be funded. But there definitely is a gap between the capital that exists in this ecosystem and the companies that are are of high quality having relatively easy access to at least make the pitch. Right. And I think if, if we make progress on that, we'll have done something good. Yeah. And I think, you know, briefly on the engage model, I mean, part of what we were trying to solve for was healthcare and med tech in general. Like it can be a really nuanced thing, right? So to be able to dig deep into some orthopedic product or cardiovascular solution, whatever that is, you have to have a certain number, like a certain amount of background or, you know, to be able to understand it, diligence it well. Mm-hmm. So like our theory has been, and this is what naturally happens in ecosystems, by the way, is like, there's usually like that middle of the funding circle that like takes a hard look at it, loves it, and then shares why they like it. And then they, their friends come in alongside yeah. them. So we were like, how do we formalize some of that behavior without us, you know, we're, we're approaching it from a, we're not trying to make our money off of, you know, an annual salary and stuff out of the fees, but instead like let people leverage the work we were already doing as individual investors. And I think people can be doing that informally in their own ecosystems better as well. Indeed. Yeah. And really kudos to you and the whole team on the engage model of what you just said there of you're taking a different approach to how you all make money on it. That is founder friendly and investor friendly. And I think driving culture change as well of showing like, hey, there's other ways of doing this that, you know, five other groups to do as well and expand the pool of capital and of investors and diligence capability that are out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it took a couple evolutions, but part of it was we're fortunate to not need a salary from it. And it was work that we were all doing already. So we're like, how do you kind of lower the friction for people to get at the table and they only win when we win, right? But then the other piece of it was we recognize, personally, I think if you charge the startups to then be able to pitch to you and pitch to your groups, there starts being selection bias, right? Like yeah. if I'm a good startup and I can get funded elsewhere, I'm not coming back to that group. And so we were trying to figure out how to solve those two things because ultimately it's expanding on work we were already doing, you know, expanding on investments and diligence stuff that we were already kind of collectively enjoying just because you, it's fun to dig in and learn. So yeah, I mean, not to toot our own horn a bit, but um, I do think it's been a way to kind of help catalyze the connectivity within, you know, good investor and good deal flow. Indeed. Well, and, and I'm glad to toot the horn of Engage. Uh, <laughs> you all brought something unique to the ecosystem that's bringing new capital in. That along with your other work, I think you're, you're consistently demonstrating like, hey, there are new ways that can 
be our new ways of delivering value to the ecosystem and to companies that creates wealth and improves patient care. Like, doesn't get much better than that. You know, last thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, you're doing work on your companies, but also you still manage to carve out time to support the broader community. You've been a, a volunteer and a member of our Starts Advisory Committee. You're also now a sponsor of the activity. You've been involved in a number of other groups and supporting other startups. You know, I'm curious, why is it important to you that you spend the time, you spend the effort to contribute to the broader ecosystem? Yeah, a um, couple points I would make. First is I'm actually a really firm believer in the work the Medical Alley Association does. Oh, thank you. I think Starts has been a great catalyst for reducing a lot of the friction we've been talking about in the ecosystem. Um, and I really do think like this is the ecosystem that companies should come to to start and do it well and make sure that you know their individual business would thrive. And I think that you know a quick example of that would be. Um, I met one of the founders of Engage through Medical Alley Association as a connection of being like, you guys are like-minded individuals. I think you would enjoy a discussion. It didn't really have any you know, positive outcome or ex- expected other than these two would enjoy it. And I think that's when you know, we put those minds together and started thinking through some of these mm-hmm. things, which would have never happened had it not been for kind of a neutral third party. I also think that, you know, our our mission with AVO, not we can use the name, AVO, MedTech Consulting and Starts has been really well aligned, which is, I believe, in a fair profit. But I also think there's a lot we can do to make it less hard for the next entrepreneur. Mm. And I have been grateful to have people that have invested that time in me. Um, and some of my mentors, some of which are on the board of Medical Health Association, you know, Jody Hubler, for example, um, or Kathy Toon uh, and Holder with Ronnie, you know, as a couple of the women, I think that have spent a lot of time investing in that next generation, um, however we want to define it. And I, I think having seen that benefit, you want to be doing the same for others. So it's the pay it forward. Heck yeah. Well, it is greatly appreciated. The support makes our work possible your willingness and your partner's willingness to connect makes the work possible. And I think that's the hopefully virtuous cycle that is spinning faster and faster in this ecosystem. Before we sign off, I should ask uh, if people want to find out more about the company, what's the website? Where can they go to learn? (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, let me confirm because it's actually getting all lost. It's in the show notes as well. When it goes. Um, Avio MedTech. Uh, dot com. Perfect. So A-V-I-O-Medtech.com. Awesome. Thank you. Well, yes. Morgan, I really appreciate you taking a little bit of time to share your perspective, share your experiences. And I really appreciate that you've been a part of this community now since getting here to Medical Alley. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I, I do test, like, would say a lot of the work and extrapolation of things I've done is, is all kind of gotten followed right back through this group here. So it's Mutually beneficial from that standpoint and and very appreciative of the work you guys do. Right on. And folks, that's been another episode of the Medical Alley podcast. If you're not already a subscriber, make sure you go over to medicalalleypodcast.org. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. And hey, would you do me a small favor? Would you share this podcast with just one other person? If every listener did that, A, we doubled the listenership, which is great. But you would help to spread important stories and let people know about the amazing things that are happening in this ecosystem, and in doing so, contribute to its strengthening. 
So I'd really appreciate it if you give this a share, let someone else in your network know about what's going on. And until next time, this has been the Medical Alley Podcast. I'll see you around and I hope you have a great day.